Washington is mesmerized by discussions of the spending that could be included in the next transportation reauthorization. Observers for more than a year have speculated about dollar amounts, big ones in fact, paying little or no attention to the formulas that send federal bucks to the states annually. Recently, one group, Transportation for America, also known as T4, said enough was enough, arguing the billions we spend annually haven't done much to alleviate traffic backups, emissions, or pedestrian fatalities. T4 wants a timeout. This is Hard Facts. I'm Robert Johnson. Another organization wants reform, the kind that puts politics to the test. The Eno Center for Transportation is nonprofit and nonpartisan, and about to celebrate its 100th anniversary in 2021. Two weeks ago, a team of researchers there posted a report about federal funding formulas that wouldn't make any bestseller list, but is far more important than the hottest novel. In fact, the report raises questions about annual funding decisions made with old data and offers options for revamping the way Uncle Sam doles out dollars to the states. Paul Lewis is Eno's vice president of policy and finance. He, along with Jeff Davis and Alice Grossman, wrote the report. Lewis visited the Hard Facts studio this week to discuss their work. Here's the conversation. So we've always been talking about how much money goes out, but we don't often take a look at how that money is distributed. Uh, we used to actually uh, care very much about that. If we looked at the 2005 Safety Lou Law, that was one where we looked at formula factors very closely. We were very in tune to what was going on state-by-state uh, state level. There was lots of debates over the formula factors, and that's when the earmarks hit its peak. So states, members of Congress were very, very tuned into how the money was distributed. We haven't updated formula factors since then. Two weeks ago, you released a report on this very topic. It's called Refreshing the Status Quo, Federal Highway Programs and Funding Distribution. Why the focus now? Every year, the Congress distributes, or I guess the DOT distributes, $48 billion in funding for highways uh, through the formula programs. But these formulas have been set in stone, basically, since 2009. They have not been updated. They are based on the same proportion of funding that every state's gotten since then. The only exception being a 95% rule that uh, every state's supposed to receive 95% of the fuel taxes that it receives. Given that now we fund a good portion through general funds, the only state that affects is Texas. So the proportions that every state gets has basically been set in stone. We thought it would be helpful to reopen the formula debate. Maybe we can start distributing funds based on real-world factors like VMT, lane miles, needs-based or performance-based factors that can help better target the programs to where the needs actually are. Mobility is changing every day now with technology, especially the way people get around is not the same as it was in 2007 or 2009, depending on what number you're looking at in terms of years. It would seem to make sense, but we're now going into the reauthorization for the second time or the third time since those numbers were set? This would be the third time. No talk of any change to the formulas that you've heard of so far? Not much. I mean, I think there's a lot of interest from folks, but when they think about the political fight that that might entail, uh, they, they kind of shy away from it. But we think that there's a compelling reason to relook at the formulas. 
to perhaps target money to where it's more needed, to reward performance that states have done when they're done well, and look at ways that we can better target the limited money that we have. Before we dive into the details of the report that just came out a couple of weeks ago that you helped write, let's give the audience, which is probably not studying the funding formulas closely, let's give them a primer. How does it work? Yeah, so as it stands right now, every state gets a proportion of the funding, whether it's a half a percent or 2.5 percent. I mean, depending on a bunch of factors, that's, like I said, been set in stone based on real-world factors. It used to vary every year based on different lane miles, population changes, non-attainment areas, all those kind of things that indicate how well a transportation system is performing and what the needs are. That stopped after Safety Lou, but we're still distributing funding based on those numbers, which were based on 2007 statistics, plus the earmarks that certain states got under the Safety Lou law. So some states are receiving a lot more than they would have otherwise, except that they did receive a bunch of earmarks, and those earmarks are kind of baked into the current formulas today. The formulas of today are not anything that includes BMT or quality of pavements or any of these kind of things. And we have that data because the states are now required to collect it. Yeah, so states still collect a lot of the data, uh, and there's a lot of data out there. Some of it is not as refreshed as we'd like it to be, and that was one of the challenges we had in putting this report together is, is some of the lack of clarity and consistency and up-to-dateness of the data. But regardless, we do have a lot of data, and there's more and more data coming to transportation. Why can't we take some of that and infuse it into how we reward and distribute funding to states? There were some national performance standards that Congress enacted upon the states in 2012? That's right. And your report says that information is not being used to make decisions about where to spend the money either. Right. In 2012, under MAP 21, Congress put together a bunch of standards with the purpose to transform the federal aid program, means to most efficiently target investment, refocusing national highway money on transportation goals, increasing accountability, transparency. Seven years later, those performance measures have nothing at all to do with how the federal government distributes highway funding. The information could be helpful. It's just not being used. Sure. That's right. It always costs money to gather this sort of data. I assume the states are having to foot that bill every year. That's right. And some of the states would be doing it anyway. I mean, more and more states are continuing to use performance-based allocations, life cycle cost analysis, more data to inform not just how we put out roadway investment today, but how do we maintain things a long time into the future. That data can be tremendously helpful in cutting costs in the short term and, and especially in the long term. Having spent some time inside a state DOT, I know that we like the federal money, we don't like the federal mandates. Have the states complained about having to collect this data, even though nothing really has been done with it here in Washington? I can't say I've heard complaints from the states, but I haven't been tuned into that directly. But I don't think a lot of states are complaining because right now, at least a third of all of the money that's going out through the highway formulas is general fund money. It's not user excise taxes or diesel or gasoline taxes. So that general fund money is coming down. It's hard to make a complaint about the strings attached to it when it's not money that's tied to users, per se. So let's get into the report. You decided to make your point eight different ways, eight scenarios that are in place. Some are historical, some are based around programs that have been in place or are in place now. 
And then you have a couple of forward-leaning scenarios that have a lot of new ideas. Can we just go through each one quickly so people get an overview if they want to read more about this? Each scenario has four or five pages of detail, including graphics and such, and that'll be linked to your website in the show notes. You good with that? That's great. Okay. Scenario number one, 1916-era apportionments. Back to the original drawing board. Yeah, we wanted to have a little fun with this one. Throw it back to what the first Federal Aid Highway Act was, which is 1916, that distributed money based one-third on population, one-third on state lane miles, and one-third on area, kind of giving a sense for what the different needs were in each state. Now, you should know that Alaska was only counted for a third of the area when it eventually became a state under this. And this is what we used in this because Alaska's massive area definitely benefited that state. But the others kind of balance out and it was kind of showing what would it look like if we were to do that. And of course, a lot of the big box states in the middle of the country did receive a lot more funding than what they do now. And some of the smaller high population states did not get as much funding because things like lane miles and state area weigh in two-thirds of that distribution. Scenario number two, safety Lou era apportionments with MAP 21 slash FAST era programs. This is imposing formulas that are familiar onto the newer programs? Yeah, so this is taking the programs that we have now, which are consolidated from what they were, and put, running them through what was the safety Lou formulas, which was last in use in 2009, basically trying to show what states have either gained or lost things like VMT or road miles respective to the other states, and also what would the distribution look like without the inclusion of earmarks. Scenario three, needs-based apportionments. Metrics are in play here, aimed at states with the most need. That sounds simple enough. Right. So the states that have increased VMT, have increased lane miles, obviously have a lot more highways to maintain and take care of, so then their needs are also greater. This uh, has advantaged states that have expanded their highway systems over the past few decades relative to the other states around them. The next one's interesting, scenario number four, incentive-based apportionment, funding that's distributed based on improvements in measurable areas. So this sounds like states that are able to move the needle, make improvements. Under this plan, they get more money. Right. And so that this would be something that would be calculated year over year. States that have improved on certain things like fatalities or roadways that have poor condition, proving that, or um, deficient bridges, they would receive more money. So it would provide a really, really strong high dollar value incentive to those states. And it also has some perverse incentives, right? States that, that may be falling behind, right? States that have more deficient bridges or worse pavement might lose money for the things that they actually need to address. And so this one is targeted in rewarding states for making improvements, but it might leave some states behind. We're halfway through the list. Scenario number five is a hybrid. So it mixes needs-based with incentive-based and theoretically finds a way to consider all of that. Yeah, right. We tried to blend a little bit. This is where maybe 50% to 70% of the money is going out on needs-based, and the other 50 to 30% is going out based on performance. And so trying to blend that together, reward states, but also making sure there's a base level of funding to address the big problems that states may have in their infrastructure. 
Option number six is a needs-based apportionment with incentive set-asides. How does that work? Yeah, so with this one, we experimented with an incentive set-aside. So we took aside 2% of the program, which is about $800 million. And we said this is going to be set aside to reward states that have achieved exemplary performance. And, and the secretary could have some discretion over which states would receive that money based on how they've hit some of the key targets in the performance metrics. But the 98% of the money would go out based on the needs base to address the things that states are trying to improve upon. I really want to ask you which of these you like the best, but we have two more. So I'm itching to get to that question, and other people listening might be too. Let's talk about the future. Uh, Scenario 7, alternative federal program structure. Fast act with some tweaks is what this kind of looks like to me as I read through the report. Yes, no? Yeah, so this is one where we messed with the structure a little bit of the programs. We tried to reorient some of the national goals to bring in some more very specific distribution factors, both performance-based and needs-based that could really help states achieve some of the things that they're trying to do. And we experimented with some, how a state is able to improve on its emissions per GDP. So how are they growing their economy while also reducing emissions for the environmental program that's part of the federal programs? Scenario number eight, the last one, is entitled New Federal Programs. And here you list nearly three pages of new programs intended to correct the way we distribute funds. Was that a fun one? Did you have fun creating? Yeah, this one we sat down in the conference room and workshopped amongst our policy staff and really tried to say, well, what what are we actually trying to achieve? I mean, so often federal law is built on what was already there. It's built on that precedent. We said, well, what if we scrap all that and we create the programs that we actually want? And so we didn't make these up. We took a lot of time to review other reports that other organizations had done other suggestions for federal programs, and we took them and created a new set of programs that hit some of the main goals laid out in MAP 21 and what some of those other organizations had suggested. I think if I'm reading this report and I'm not an expert on this topic, option eight is the most interesting to me. Give us a summary, if you will, of some of the ideas that you liked and included in that option. Yeah, so in that option, we did try to target the programs. And we used a lot of the same methods and distribution factors that we had in in Scenario 5 and 6 and 7, building on some of the things that we thought was working well and also avoiding some of the things that we thought was providing too much volatility or directing money to things that we didn't think was as relevant to those particular programs. And so this is not a recommended program, and we didn't conclude with this one because we thought it was the best. And in fact, This one may be the most politically infeasible because we do pull out a lot of money for set-asides for metropolitan accessibility, for technology implementation, for kind of capital grants for regions trying to improve and take down bottlenecks. There's some money in there that makes it very difficult politically to perhaps do this, but we thought that some of these things were interesting to explore. Of the eight options you provide, I assume the only one that you're not suggesting we consider is going back 100 years to 1916. Which do you like the best? Which, if you were on the Hill stumping for what you've done in this report, what would you tell them to do? Uh, Which option would you steer them toward? Yeah, so each one of the options has benefits and it has some downsides. I think the ones that we didn't like were option four, which was based completely on performance, right? 
this had a tremendous amount of volatility. Every year, one state would win and then some states would lose because real-world statistics go up and down. And it's a challenge for a state DOT that's managing a tight budget to have that kind of volatility. So we thought that that one was interesting, but really showed that it doesn't have a lot of practicality, not just politically, but also in real life. But on the flip side, the ones that were needs-based completely, right, like scenarios two and three, those ones had no mechanism to reward states for doing good things. We think if there are federal rewards for improving performance, to getting better bridges, we could see huge improvements in the local level and state level funding. So states will invest their own resources to try to meet those national standards to get more money. So it can build on it. And I think that there's a lot to be said for scenarios six and seven, where we do try to infuse both portion of needs-based formulas along with some performance-based ones to really drive down the fact that states need stable funding, but they also need some real incentives. What I take away from all of this is the idea that whatever we do, the way we distribute funds ought to change with the times. We shouldn't decide something and just stick with it for decades. Is that right? That's right. I mean, that's what we're trying to really kind of unearth here. Nobody's really talking about that. Last year at Infrastructure Week, there was a lot of talk about big dollar signs, trillion-dollar infrastructure plan, $2 trillion infrastructure plan. But when you really talk to the stakeholders, if you listen to the panels and the events that week, people were really not focused so much on the big dollar level, but more starting to say, well, what, what are we trying to achieve here? What is our end goal? Sure, we can throw money at the program, and we've been increasing funding since 2005, faster than inflation, and we haven't seen dramatic improvements in our infrastructure. We're still saying the same narrative of that we need to invest. And so the question is, is can we invest smarter? Some groups now are starting to say they don't want any more money until we fix what we're doing today. Have you seen that? Yes, yeah. We've seen some groups saying that the problem with how money is distributed for transit and highway programs is so broken that we need a, a total revamp before they'll support more funding. And I think that goes in line with this. And we're not trying to say that per se in, the, in this report, but we're trying to say that it is time that we think about how the money's going out and how it could be improved. Is this not happening because of the politics entirely? Are there other reasons? Is that it? It's just so easy to say that every state's going to get the same proportion that they did last time. That's the easiest politically. It may not drive the best outcome, but it's the easiest politically. And I think there's a lot of people that are still scarred from the debates, the formula debates from 2005, when they were trying to figure out the formulas that they would get 60 votes in the Senate to make it pass. And they're not really keen to go through that exercise again. <laughs> Memories are long. That's 14 years ago. That's right. How about data? You noted that could also be a hurdle. Yeah. So when we looked at this paper, I mean, aside from it being very evident that what we have today is not really indicative of actual needs or performance or anything other than how states performed 14 years ago, the big challenge that we see in updating formula factors is that the data we have today is not that great. It's either a little dated, it's not been updated in a while, or it's not wholly complete. And so we really need to start and spur a better, comprehensive nationwide data project that can get these statistics up to date and really kind of bring it in line with what other industries are doing in reporting this data much more frequently and much more comprehensively. Of course, now those data sets would 
also need to include scooters and bicycles and all these other means of moving around that were not anywhere near the picture even two or three years ago. Perhaps, right? I mean, I think that if we're talking about things like scooters and bikes, there's a lot of evidence that that's really kind of a local concern, right? The federal government may not care so much about the amount of bike miles you have in your city or how many miles of bike lanes you have. But what they do care about is how are people getting around your region? How accessible, how safe is it? And you can then leave it to states and localities to invest in whatever they want to, whether that's transit or bike lanes or better roads, to achieve those goals of reducing fatalities, increasing accessibility, reducing congestion. Those kind of things can go hand in hand. The federal government, high-level things, can look at big things like regional economies, populations, and then let the states use their own data to target those investments to things that meet those federal standards the best way. Of course, the notorious incentive program from the feds is the one that has to do with air quality. They tie your money for roads to your brown cloud. Certainly, the new mobility would have some effect on that in a positive way, I think. You'd think so, right? And first of all, they haven't. The last time they updated the non-attainment area of distribution factors was in 2009. And this paper relies on some of those very, very dated statistics when we tried to reinsert these. And so those could have changed quite a bit. And so, right, if the idea is trying to reduce non-attainment areas to improve air quality, again, some cities might decide to invest in and encourage bike share and scooter share. Other cities might try something else. But you can kind of leave it to the states to figure out what method do they use? Again, the point is, none of this is really being considered right now as it relates to who gets how much money every year. That's right. October 1st was the day this report went online, so about two weeks ago. Any reaction? Yeah, we've gotten uh, quite a bit of reaction. A lot of people have been asking for briefings. We've been going around town talking to folks about it. It's been also interesting. We've posted on our website is all of the data that we use to create this. And we've gotten some feedback on that and some minor corrections we've had to make when some folks have pointed out some things. And then other people are testing their own scenarios. And that's really the goal is to let people dive into the data themselves, test their own scenarios, and maybe write about it and talk about it. The other question that we got a lot is on the political feasibility side of things. Which scenario would pass the muster of Congress, right? And generally, the one that the one test is usually how, how do you get 60 votes in the Senate, which means that 30 states would need to either maintain or increase their funding over today at the expense of maybe 20 that might lose it. And of our scenarios, scenarios two, three, and six uh, were the ones that got more than 30 states to increase their funding, which we thought was interesting. Most of those states tended to be the ones with lower population, and the states that would lose would be the Texases and Californias. And again, not in every scenario, but in, in those ones, especially in, in scenario three and six, Texas and California lost money. And so how do you bring on the congressmen in those states to then support the bill is, is another question. But if you look at the Senate, each one of those distributed most of their funding based on needs-based formula factors. And then three and six had a portion based on performance-based. But again, it does kind of show that there is a political challenge. And we didn't do a full congressional slicing and dicing of how this might add up. But I think that that's going to be part of the calculus. This is the right time to be having this conversation because really the only action that we've seen so far has been out of EPW. They passed 
their version of a reauthorization before the August break. Lots of work left to do. Maybe the House will give us something before the holidays, but this is a 2020-2021 conversation. How do you handicap the idea of revamping the funding formulas in this next reauthorization? Do you think it'll happen? So it's a good question. It's really hard to say because the political situation here in Washington is focused on other things, and there's really not a need to really dive into it. We were kind of surprised that EPW was put out a bill, kind of heartened that they've started this conversation. It's been an important conversation. A lot of people have been talking about it. Um, There's some interesting things going on in that bill, but the bottom line is that funding for the current programs doesn't run out until May 2021, which is after the next election and well after the inauguration. And so there's not a ton of motivation from the speaker or from the Senate leader to really push anything forward. And so we're not really expecting anything. But if we are going to make substantial changes to the programs and or its formula factors, that conversation has to start now. If you're sitting out somewhere in the States running a transportation-related business, many of our listeners are involved in the cement and concrete industry, kind of a big deal when you talk about building things. What should they take away from this? Why should they pay attention to this kind of detail? A couple reasons. First, it might change, right? So if Congress does decide to revisit formula factors, there could be some big swings in not only what states receive more money or less money uh, in any given year, but also what requirements are tied to it. And I think that there's a potential benefit for folks, particularly in the concrete industry, pavements, because that's such a huge part of highways, is uh, the performance metrics, right? If the performance metric, one of them we have in here is based on pavement condition. If states are able to improve their pavement condition, the roughness index or or whatever metric we want to use, they could get directly rewarded by more funding. And states would then be highly incentivized to invest in better pavements. And not just one year over one year, but every single year. And so they may be rethinking how they make some of those strategic investments and investing in pavements to achieve those national goals. If the podcast has whet the appetite, but the desire is for more information, what's available to really get into the weeds on this? What's online that people can go to and look at? I would encourage people to take a look at the report. It's long, uh, and we're not expecting everyone to read every word of it, but I think you can peruse. There's a lot of graphics. We have maps in there that show which states win and which states lose under each scenario. And we also have our raw data tables that we encourage people to download and play with and kind of create their own scenarios. We also did a webinar with my co-authors where we talked through some of these same issues. We get a little bit more into the weeds of the different scenarios. And so um, I think people should start thinking about it because it's going to be a conversation topic for the next year and a half. Well, Paul Lewis, I can say one thing. I've been around a lot of policy people in Washington, D.C., and I feel like I can actually understand what you're saying. So I appreciate that. (laughs) I don't know if that's a compliment or not. It is. (laughs) You're with the Eno Center for Transportation. You lead policy there, and we appreciate you taking the time to walk us through an issue that we really should pay attention to, and hopefully some folks on the Hill will. Great. Thanks for having me. Next week, we'll have the latest from Washington on the issues industry follows, transportation funding, resiliency, and climate, from voices you won't hear anywhere else. That's Wednesday, October 23rd on Hard Facts. 
a podcast production of the Portland Cement Association. I'm Robert Johnson. I'll see you then.